I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be here sharing with you lessons I've learned, conversations I've had that will equip you to create new habits, challenge mindsets, and build relationships that will allow your family to thrive. We all know that life can be challenging. I'm pretty confident that everyone listening today has faced some sort of disappointment, loss, or unexpected outcome that has rocked their world. If you're married, these situations can bring you closer to your spouse or put distance between you. In today's conversation with Gary Thomas, we look at what it looks like to have a strong, connected relationship so that you're ready when life gets hard, and why some couples thrive in difficult situations that would normally break apart a marriage. For those of you unfamiliar with Gary Thomas, he is a writer, speaker who focuses on bringing people closer to Christ and others. He is the author of 20 books that have sold over 2 million copies. His books include Sacred Marriage, Cherish, Married Sex, and the Gold Medallion Award winner, Authentic Faith. We discuss his new book, Making Marriage a Fortress, in which he shares the stories of couples and families that have weathered hardship and heartbreak well. Welcome, Gary. It's so fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. Really honored to be here. So a question we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? It's kind of funny. I think sacred marriage and sacred parenting, because I used so many family stories in the early books, people kind of felt like they grew up with Lisa and me and then with our kids. Sometimes it would freak my kids out because people would say, oh, I remember when you did this when you were little. And they'd look at me like, dad, what happened and whatnot. So had to pull back when they became teenagers. Yeah, uh, My son, who ended up getting an MBA, was a business guy. He was going to start selling me his stories. But, um, <laughs> but I, I think it's kind of them growing up a little bit with other people knowing who they are when they don't know the people who know them. Right. So when friends and family members come and hang out with you, so it's you and your wife because your kids are grown, what what can they expect? Well, my wife is perhaps the world's healthiest eater. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she loves to cook for others and give little lectures along the way about why you include the yolks with the eggs and why it's, you know, all of the, the things. Everybody in our family except for me is gluten-free. And if it's meat, it's, you know, at a local farm and raised a certain way and even killed a certain way and yeah. whatnot. So they get sort of a um, nutrition lecture from my wife. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, we we are passionate about food and we could definitely talk about food and what we've eaten and why we eat it and where we ate it. We could talk about that forever. So I can well, totally appreciate that. I, I do think that's where I'm a bit of a disappointment to my wife. My whole family, they're all foodies except for me. I have such lowbrow <laughs> taste. I eat because I don't like to be hungry, but I just don't enjoy it right. like my family does. And I think Lisa was so happy when she would cook brunch for my son's and daughter's cross-country teams. And there'd be the slurping noise. And, you know, teenage boys yeah. are just, they want thirds and fourths. And Lisa was just in heaven as opposed to a husband who's like, yeah, this is pretty good. But, you know, she knows I'm not quite into it like I should be. Yeah. All right. That's okay. Everybody's different, but at least you can appreciate their love of it. Yeah. All right. So you're here to talk to us today about your new book, Making Marriage a Fortress. Now you've written many books. I've read several of them, including Sacred Marriage, but this one's kind of different. Can you talk about this book and um, what prompted you to write it? 
Well, I think the main difference is it's really focused on other couples more than me just sharing things that I've learned or I'm thinking about. I went mm-hmm. to these wise couples who had something bad happen. Not just couples who had something terrible happen to them because that can be a depressing book. Yeah. <laughs> but, but really wise ones that I could go to and say, when this happened, what happened, when it did, what did you do wrong? What do you wish you would have did? have done differently what did you learn what would you say to other couples in similar circumstances and and they were wise enough to where even if somebody hasn't gone through their issues the principles that they garnered from it mm-hmm. could be so helpful and to be honest I I first I thought maybe this book is just for those who are really facing some difficult times and just need the encouragement of others who have faced it but I'll never forget being at a family camp where At a family camp, instead of like a conference, like I just did one last weekend where you fly in and you speak twice on Friday and maybe twice on Saturday, you talk to people between sessions, there's not that much time. At a family camp, you have meals with people, you're sitting at a table before and after sessions, and just hearing the stories of what these seemingly happy families have gone through. I mean, you Mm. see them playing together and and eating and they're all happy. And then uh, one couple, they had one child and we found out the wife has regular seizures. She can have multiple Mm. seizures in a day. And so they have to be careful about what kind of worship service they go to. The wrong kind of music or lighting can send her into a seizure. They had to bring all their own food. If she eats the wrong things, she can have a seizure. She can't drive her daughter. You can just imagine the aspects of marriage where her husband has to be careful not to send her into a seizure. And the husband told us about how one was so awful. It was a three-hour seizure, which I imagine is horrific watching Mm -hmm. your wife go through that. So he's crying out to God, God, please either heal her or let her go home. Don't make her keep dealing with this because it wiped out a big part of her memory. He prayed that prayer six years ago. She's still dealing with the seizures. Another couple, they had all of these financial issues. They thought they would serve God hit after hit after hit. And now they just found out their daughter is diagnosed as bipolar, an adult daughter. And so they're dealing with that. Another couple had kids. Well, they actually got married while she was pregnant. Um, They had their own kids. They've adopted a couple kids. They're in their late 40s, thought that they were finally done Mm -hmm. Protective Services called them up and said, one of the children who you've adopted, the birth mother is pregnant again. Would you take this child in? So they did. The child is not developing normally. The head isn't growing. Two years old, can't talk or walk. And they realize they will probably be caring for this child for the rest of their lives. They'll have Mm. been either pregnant or actively raising a child. They didn't know they were signing up for this when they fell in love and decided to get married. And I could go on and on with all of these stories where how are these couples learning not just to survive? Who want, wants to just do that? But I've mm-hmm. seen couples who are learning to thrive, even though you see these situations would, would break so many marriages apart. What made their marriage different? What have they learned so they can keep growing together? Yeah. I love this format because stories are so powerful. You know, I've read my my share of like personal growth books and I'm learning things and it's powerful. But when you hear someone's story and how they actually navigated it and you actually feel those feelings as you're reading the words, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. And, and it's overwhelming at times. After interviewing, I just have to go for a walk. <laughs> and there's one story that moved me so much. And I'd put it in like the third or fourth chapter. My editor said, Gary, 
we have to move this to the back. And I said, why? He goes, it's so powerful. He goes, but I cried all the way through it. I go, I mean, you want people to keep reading. And he goes, I I just knowing what they went through and seeing their faith. And so that actually became not the last chapter, but one of the last chapters, just to be kind to the to the reader. Um, Really astonishing (laughs) stories where I wouldn't have wanted to walk the path of any of the couples in this mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. And yet they inspire me at how they are, so many said, more in love with each other, more committed to Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and frankly, happier. And, and how so many of them said the issues they face. One, I'll, I'll never forget, the husband had MS. He, he had been a, a bodybuilder or a weightlifter where he could bench press 400 pounds, which for your listeners, that's a whole lot of weight. That's more than two or three guys can usually lift. And when he was diagnosed with MS, he kept praying. As I imagine, I would pray, God, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And he felt the Lord tell him, Daryl, I am going to heal you, but not of MS. I'm going to use MS to heal other issues in your life that matter more than MS. I can't even imagine hearing that answer. You're thinking, what matters more than that? Yeah. His wife says when she met him, she was mesmerized because he's this charismatic guy, obviously a big guy, a strong guy, great with groups, charismatic, wicked funny. And now she says today, 35 years after he's been diagnosed, um, he may be the humblest man I know. And she's so in awe at his wow. Christ-like character and attitude. That's not why she married him. She didn't think she was marrying a guy who demonstrated extreme humility, but that's what she has, and that's what God has grown in him. He's talked to me about, he calls it his ministry of sitting around because he's in a chair, and he can't go out and meet people, but often just sitting outside a coffee shop or whatnot or at a campground, kids will come up to him, mm-hmm. tell us about what happened, and, and it's this powerful ministry where God can bring people to him. Not at all the ministry he envisioned envisioned, or his wife, uh, but it's amazing the stories of faith that come from that. Wow. I know for me, it's super easy when I face disappointment or struggle to withdraw and want to deal with those things on my own. Um, and and to me, part of, part of it is I didn't want to be a burden. Like I know my husband's already yes. stressed out enough. And so what does it look like to face crisis so that we grow stronger together and not apart? Because it happens real quick, that growing yeah. apart. It does. I I think first you have to realize that each spouse is going to face it differently. If we go back to the couple with MS, Mm -hmm. Stacy is a typical half glass empty person. Daryl's a person who's half glass full. And they realize they were both wrong and they were both right. Stacy's attitude is this is really bad. This is going to be awful. Daryl said, oh, it's going to be all right. Somehow we're going to get through this. And so as an athlete, he thought, I can work through this. Mm. I'm going to work out harder until the doctor said, Daryl, you are making things worse. You can't ignore that you have MS. When you break your body down like you're doing it in these workouts, it can't recover. Mm. You can't pretend you don't have MS or that you can physically beat it. So he he needed to listen to his wife, Stacy. But Stacy needed to learn from Daryl. That things are going to be okay. God will be there. In fact, she talked about how this is probably 25 years after he was diagnosed. They're at this dinner party. They've got friends around the table, great food and and drinks and laughter and stories. And there's Daryl, her worst nightmare from decades before, in the chair, 
unable to operate, you know, the chair fully on his, well, with his hands he can, but he can't really get out of the chair to walk. And she has to leave early. He just does better if they leave parties at eight. But she looked at how good the night was. And she said to herself, Stacy, see, this was your worst fear and it's okay. You love your husband. You have great friends. You're having good times. And that's when she told me, Gary, I think my fear of MS did more damage to our marriage than MS did. Wow. And so you see a woman who just had this unbelievable testimony of faith, looking at her own heart. And again, I was just blown away at story after story like this, where people face these things that looked horrible. Mm -hmm. And yet having survived them and seeing that God's grace is true and real and powerful, they're more in love with each other and more in love with God. Wow. So I'm imagining that you found common threads in these stories. What did you find were the main characteristics of a marriage that's yeah. like a fortress? Well, first, let's just say that people should expect assaults to come. I've met a few couples that have been married 20, 25 years and say, I don't know why people say marriage is difficult or for us. It's just, and I'm saying, great. Thank God. I don't want you to live with fear. I don't think you should. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of couples are going to have these hits that they didn't see coming. And not, they don't bring them on. Daryl didn't choose to get MS. Um, one couple, financial issues. They didn't choose for the Southern California economy to go south in 2008. They didn't choose for COVID to shut down their business. Yeah. Um, one guy, their job, they didn't know it would take them apart from each other for for years i mean all of these situations where we don't necessarily change certainly the couple that lost their only child when he was 19 years old they, they couldn't envision that so mm. be honest there's going to come a time when you're going to need to lean on each other you'll respond in different ways so grow together but three things that i saw that these couples really had first they had to be strong individually so if you've got singles listening, I would say this is why you want to make sure you marry well in terms of spiritual maturity, because there will be a time when you are racked. I think of Janelle, one of the godliest, strongest students of scripture, woman of faith. When she lost her son, she said for the next year, it was 95% Joe and 5% me holding wow. things together. She needed to lean on her husband because she was mm -hmm. racked. I think of a man who had had a terrible, awful sexual addiction, and he was because he was so organized, he could manage a family and a demanding occupation and his addiction. But when he was exposed, um, things came out a little bit, and he threw himself into recovery, demonstrated repentance. He was working with a licensed professional counselor, the, the gold standard of 30 meetings in 30 days for 12-step groups, making calls to his sponsors, and listening to podcasts and books. 18 months after he was in recovery, their daughter was diagnosed with cancer, potentially mm -hmm. life-threatening. And both he and his wife said if he hadn't gotten clean, if he wasn't sober, our marriage would have never made it through. We we just wouldn't have. And he told me, Gear, I just I'm horrified when I think I wouldn't have been there for my wife just mm -hmm. when she needed me most. I wouldn't have been there for my sons. He was home taking care of the boys while his wife was at the hospital with the daughter more days than not. And he goes, and I wouldn't have been there for my daughter when she was facing perhaps an early death because I would have been acting out. I would have been using the addiction to, to deal with the uncertainty and the fear mm -hmm. and, and all those things. And so I would say you might have issues in your life that you're getting away with if the weather is pleasant. 
bad habits. It doesn't have to be addiction. Maybe it's a bad habits. Maybe things, they're just making you weak. Hebrews says, throw off whatever is slowing you down, whatever Mm. is weighting you down. Just know that if you tolerate that now and you may think you're getting by with it, the time may come when you need to be at your best for your spouse, for your God, for your children. And it's just wise to deal with that now. First Timothy 4 says, godliness has value for all things. Growing in godliness, getting rid of the bad and growing in the good, it's always wise. If you're godly, it doesn't matter what the challenge will face. You'll have the spiritual strength to face it. Um, Can I do the other two? I'm going on so long. No, you're good. No, 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 no. Okay. So become strong individually before the storm hits. The second thing, once it hits, recognize that it really helps to store up scripture Scripture says of itself, the word of God is living and active. It's helpful. It's life-giving. It's it's a miracle. We should we should get on our knees every day and thank God that he wasn't silent, that he gave us mm-hmm. the Psalms, that he gave us the yeah. wisdom of the epistles and the examples of Jesus. It's just amazing because I, I think of the woman who lost her only son. She was devastated, as you could imagine. But she had stored God's word up in her heart. And so when she remembered 2 Corinthians 5, 8, I think that was it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She looked at me. I was blown away by this. She said, Gary, God didn't just call Garrett from us. He called Garrett to something. My Garrett is perfectly serving his heavenly father today in a glorified state. I know my other friends, they worry about what their kids are doing or what kind of trouble they're getting in. I don't have to worry about Garrett right now. He's perfectly serving God. He's living in glory. It's amazing. And if you could see the way her face lit up quoting that scripture, that that it it wasn't just Bible memorization to her. It was life-giving. It was sustaining. She was strengthened because she believes in the truth of scripture and it ministered to her soul. Or I think of the wife whose husband's business just went south. They'd had millions and millions of dollars and now entering, well, they can't retire, but they could be at an age where they could consider it mm-hmm. and really have nothing to their name. Mm-hmm. That tears so many couples apart. The husband might blame the wife for spending. I don't mean to be sexist here. Maybe the husband is overspending buying a car. It can go either way. Uh, but the other spouse could say, well, how could you let this happen? But but Emily said where she took strength was Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. And she said, Gary, I was able to give myself to my husband because I know I, I won't lack because he's a great businessman or he could foresee things that nobody else could foresee or he's going to figure it out. We're going to be okay because God is our shepherd, not because my husband is a brilliant businessman. And again, the life-giving power of scripture to build her up. This is why I say, if you're not in a storm, be like a bear entering hibernation, (laughs) devour all the word of God that you can, Mm, because these couples just found that they needed to draw it up. And the third thing might surprise some married couples, but it's the need to grow in community. Hebrews tells us, don't give up in the habit of meeting each other, encouraging one another. When things are going well, we don't need church. Church feels like an obligation. Well, we'll be good to this weekend. We'll go to church. And we might not really engage. We might take a part of the sermon and say hi to a couple people, but get out of there as soon as we can. We're not inviting people to our homes and whatnot. But when the storm hits, you need 
people. I'll go back to Janelle who lost her son. Just needed to make one phone call. That morning she found out her son was dead. Her house is flooded with people from her small group, from the choir, from the church. They had been involved in church and the church filled up and she's able to grab the shoulders of one of her closest friends. I know that 70% of marriages won't survive this. I've lost my son. Please don't let me lose my husband. You got to be there. You got to be there Mm. for us and with us. I I mentioned the man with the sexual addiction. This is what got me so sad as a pastor. He said, Gary, when I am in recovery, I'm working with these guys. I don't know their favorite sports team. I don't know where they work. I work. They live in or what kind of job they have. He goes, but I know their deepest sins. I know their character strengths and weaknesses. I know where they stumble. I know the last time they've sinned. I kind of know the state of their, I know the state of their. At church, it's just opposite. He goes, at church, I, I know their favorite team. I know what neighborhood mm. they kind of guess how much money they make. I don't know anything about the state of their heart. I don't know how their prayer life is. And, and those that are in recovery know they need community because they face the devastation of addiction and they've tried on their own. They realize I can't. And because they need community, they go deep. They don't let themselves get isolated again. And so often we do because we look at church as an obligation and and something that we're checking off a list, not that we need and not learning to participate. So the couples that I saw made it through the best got strong individually before the storm hit. They stored up God's word in their heart and they built up a community. It wasn't just husband and wife. It was husband, wife, and a church. Yeah, community is so, so important. Um, Okay, one last question. How do we develop trust in a marriage that's faced these disappointments, unmet expectations, and even betrayal? Um, You know, because maybe we haven't been there for each other and now we find ourselves in a situation where yeah, it's just us. <laughs> yeah. I, I leaned a lot for this book on the research of Dr. Hart and Dr. May. That's actually a father-daughter team. Now, Dr. Mm-hmm. Hart has since died. But um, it's fascinating to read how a father and daughter deal with this. And they stress the need for emotional connection. You've read some of my books. So you know, I've always stressed the spiritual intimacy. Mm-hmm. It, it, it You don't have to put them against each other. We can pursue spiritual intimacy as well as emotional connection. And they had three things that they thought built emotional connection that If they're lacking, you're going to feel distant. The marriage is going to feel lonely. But if there's betrayal, putting these three things back in is how you rebuild Mm. that connection. The first thing is trust. And that's why trust being broken is so devastating. You can't be intimate with somebody you don't trust. It's impossible psychologically and spiritually to give yourself to someone when you don't think you can rely on. I put it this way. I'm not going to fall down from a 10-foot platform on a group of people if I don't trust them to catch me. Why would I do that? And same thing, why would I share something with my spouse if I can't trust them? So trust isn't just sexual faithfulness, although that should be, of course, a part of it. It's If you say you're going to be home for dinner at six, you're home for dinner at six. If you say you're going to remember to pick this up, you pick it up because because trust is built in those little things that are so key uh, and so important. The second thing besides trust is emotional availability. And this is where it's just you make space emotionally 
to be there for your spouse, to live with them, to feel for them, to experience it with them. You're not trying to immediately fix everything. You're just available. Things that keep us unavailable, well, we mentioned addictions. I don't think it's possible to cherish your spouse if you cherish an addiction. You'll Mm -hmm. sell out your parents. You'll sell out your spouse. You'll betray your spouse. So you've got to be free of that. Overly busy lives can keep us. We just don't have the energy to be available for our spouse. Um, letting an avocation or a hobby steal our heart that we put it above our spouse. We're not emotionally. Well, let me finish this game or let me finish this this task or I've got to go to this meeting and then we'll talk and then you, you don't. Yeah. The third thing is sensitive responsiveness. That is so crucial. When a spouse finally shares something, sensitive responsiveness is you're there for them. You're not, again, I would say to guys, again, I don't mean to be sexist. Women can do this as well. But guys, when we try to act like we're fixing it, what our wife thinks is he doesn't want to live through this. He wants to fix it so it'll go away and I won't bug him because I'm just a nuisance to him. And so instead of fixing it or trying to discount it, oh, you shouldn't be. It's like, of course you were angry or yeah, you must have been terrified or that sounds awful. It's having that responsive situation where you're a safe person. You're showing your emotional availability. One couple that demonstrated this in the book so well was a couple where the wife had had an affair. Uh, and there's a long story and we talk about how she waded into an affair, which I found very helpful. For her, it wasn't overwhelming lust. If you would have told her a year ahead of time that she would be sleeping, she'd be thinking, no, why? And and it wasn't that they fell in love. There wasn't this big infatuation. Mm -hmm. There were a series of steps. She made a little compromise here, which led to another one, led to another one. And eventually what she never could have imagined herself doing happened, having an affair. So after it had come out and things were really tough, she and her husband were in a hotel And he's grilling her like a prosecuting attorney. Well, you said you went here, but then you wouldn't have been there. And I don't know about this. And she finally looked at him and said, David, you've asked me this question a hundred times. And she knew because he was trying to catch her in another lie. And she goes, but I'm an open book. I will answer it a hundred times. I'm so sorry that what I did put you in a situation where you would understandably be suspicious. So she's making herself emotionally available instead of, why haven't you forgiven me? Why can't you trust me? Well, forgiveness isn't easy. Trust has to be rebuilt. But by saying she's sensitive, I get, I get why you're grilling me. This is on me. Um, And I, I see this when guys are the ones who cheat so often. Well, you obviously haven't forgiven me. And the Bible says you're supposed to forgive me. Look, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. to forgive unfaithfulness in marriage. And, and and so you haven't really repented if you don't have empathy for your spouse trying to process this. In the case of Terry and David, when when she opened up to him like that, she said things broke at that moment. He got, okay, she's mm-hmm. back. She hates what she did. She's making herself emotionally available. She's responding in a sensitive way. They said we had the best sex of our life at that point because we'd reached a new level in our relationship where it wasn't just physical. We were connecting emotionally. We were having to trust each other like we never have before and be a part of each other's lives. And today they would say they have a stronger marriage than they ever imagined. This is not to say, of course not, that you ever want to have an affair because it's going to strengthen your marriage. It's like Paul saying, should I sin because grace abounds? God forbid. But in this case with this couple, the process of having to work through that to rebuild trust 
emotional availability and sensitive responsiveness really did take them to a new level in their relationship. Mm, that's good. There's some good stuff in there to to think about and really, like you said, become a strong individual where we're available, available to be emotionally available yeah, yeah. and connected. And it all goes together, all fits together. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your about your new book. I can't wait for our listeners to read it. Thank you so much. You can find Gary at GaryThomas.com. He's on Instagram as GaryThomasBooks and on Facebook as author Gary Thomas. I'll link to this plus where you can find him on Twitter and YouTube and of course where you can find his book all in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? Besides sharing this podcast with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways that you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. And remember, family culture isn't about perfect, it's about purpose.